Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast, your source for policy rants and raves from Tech Freedom, your Washington, D.C. advocate for the freedom to tinker and innovate. I'm Evan Schwarztrauber, your host. On today's show, e-cigarettes, e-vapor, and how disruptive technologies are disrupting the tobacco industry. Joining me in our D.C. studio to discuss this is Paul Blair. He's the State Affairs Manager for Americans for Tax Reform. Paul, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So the swift rise of vaping has given a lot of smokers a relatively safer alternative to tobacco products, but it's also created a lot of controversy. So let's start. Is there a public health benefit to e-vapor? Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the uh, most recent studies to suggest that electronic cigarettes and vapor products and uh, the transitioning away from the use of traditional tobacco or combustible cigarettes from Public Health England demonstrated that e-cigarettes are at least 95% less harmful and as much as 99% less harmful, that is healthier than traditional combustible cigarettes. And so the potential uh, to both save lives and potentially significant sums of public funds uh, is relatively significant. And uh, are they helping people quit smoking cigarettes? Absolutely. Uh, The Centers for Disease Control uh, government report every year uh, looks at um, tobacco use among a wide range of of demographics. And recently, because of the um, increase in use of electronic cigarettes and vapor products, they began asking consumers of uh, tobacco products or former consumers of tobacco products how effective or or if at all uh, they've be- begin or, or started using uh, the products and what it, what they recently found um, is that uh, one in six current cigarette smokers and nearly one in four recent former cigarette smokers use electronic cigarettes in l- last year what they also found is that there are at least nine million adult consumers of electronic cigarettes on a, on a daily or frequent basis. Nearly all of these are current or former smokers looking to make that switch. Right, so if people who were smoking cigarettes switch to e-vapor, there's a clear benefit there, but there is a concern that many have raised in that people who've never experimented with tobacco are gonna be drawn in by e-cigarettes because there's a variety of flavors and because maybe it's less regulated. Is that concern founded? Uh, not by any studies, government or privately funded. Uh, there, there is just not evidence to suggest uh, this, this so-called gateway effect um, from uh, e-cigarettes and vapor products to traditional tobacco. In fact, fewer than 4% of adults who had never smoked conventional cigarettes have ever even tried e-cigarettes. And that 4% is not people who have began using these products on a regular basis. Those are just people who have experimented, adults who have experimented these, with these products. And so the science simply does not suggest uh, or, or conclude uh, that, that, that um, e-cigarettes are, are either a gateway uh, or, or will get a new generation of folks addicted to uh, traditional combustible cigarettes. So there's a clear disconnect because you bring up that research is showing that it's 90% or more healthier than smoking cigarettes to use e-vapor. However, a recent Harvard study showed that 65% of adults believe that e-cigarettes are harmful. And a lot of people think they're just as harmful as cigarettes, even if the research doesn't back that up. So what's behind this disconnect between the research and public opinion? So there are a couple of things. Um, First of all, companies who sell these products are more or less prohibited from truthfully advertising the public health benefits. Uh, Despite the fact we do have uh, First Amendment protections in the United States, um, the companies that sell electronic cigarettes are not allowed to tell consumers who walk into their businesses that electronic cigarettes may save their lives. Why is that? 
for the same reasons that, uh, that, that tobacco companies um, can't advertise the reduced health claims uh, of things like moist tobacco. Um, uh, the, bo both agreements that exist, um, and, and it's mostly because of the application process that you have to go through if you make health claims. Uh, what, what a company would have to do if uh, they made health claims, despite the fact that they are true, increasing science and evidence shows, uh, is that you'd have to go through a pharmaceutical uh, drug application process, which is prohibitively expensive for small or medium-sized companies. Uh, and, and at the federal level, um, they're simply not uh, approving these sorts of modified risk uh, uh, applications. And so that's part of it. They're not allowed to advertise to consumers. Yeah, is, there, is there other stuff behind this? Absolutely. So um, the two, two states are good examples of the misinformation campaigns that are being waged by state governments and local governments. California was the first and largest. Um, they, they are spending millions of dollars to tell consumers uh, to stay at the, to, to, that, to stay at the curb if they're going to use electronic cigarettes, um, that they're just as dangerous, that they're just as harmful. And so these are public tax dollars being used to convince consumers of traditional cigarettes that they should not transition to a healthy, healthier alternative. And now in, in Chicago, uh, which has, uh, there is both a Cook County and a Chicago tax on uh, e-liquid now, um, there is a public health campaign being waged uh, that e-liquid, that e which is the, the substance you put into electronic cigarettes, um, is liquid poison. And so they are convincing, you know, it's no coincidence that Chicago also has the largest and, and highest cigarette tax in the entire country. Um, but this is, uh, yeah, so it's another publicly funded campaign to convince consumers or the general public that these are dangerous products. So while the companies that make e-vapor products are not allowed to go around making claims that they're healthier, even though research is substantiating that, governments are more than happy to use taxpayer dollars to go around telling people something that is arguably false, which is that they are just as harmful as tobacco. And this disconnect between science and opinion is leading to a lot of regulatory problems. So state governments and local governments are now facing, as is often the case with new technology, they're struggling to deal with it. You know, we talk about on this podcast, the, the way that governments struggle to confront Uber, which disrupts the taxi industry and Airbnb, which disrupts the hotel industry. And similarly, e-vapor is disrupting the tobacco industry. And some states are doing things like just redefining e-vapor to be the same as cigarettes, but there's no actual tobacco in the product. So what's going on with this torrent of regulatory and tax efforts? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, electronic cigarettes are uh, the Uber of the product industry. They are disruptive, innovative technology products, and they're tobacco free. And so, um, at the at the state level, over the last couple of years, there have been there have, there's been, both been a huge effort to lump these products into the tobacco tax and regulatory framework, um, uh, whether it be in permitting and licensing of the shops that sell these products, or subjecting them to the same or similar sin taxes as. Uh, smokeless tobacco or combustible cigarettes. And so um, there are uh, at least 10 states right now where in, in 2016 legislation has been filed or pre-filed um, to subject these products to new, higher sin and excise taxes, um, and which is actually a little bit less than last year where we had 25 states and the District of Columbia uh, consider proposals to raise taxes on these products. And so um, most of the efforts have been uh, to apply the other tobacco products tax, OTP taxes, uh, that, that snus and other smokeless tobacco products are subjected to. Uh, but some of them have been cigarette equivalency taxes. And so uh, it's, it's a relatively difficult um, 
relatively difficult thing to do if you've ever seen an electronic cigarette, uh, other than understanding how it's possible to subject them to the same taxes as, cig as, as cigarettes. Uh, it doesn't make m much sense, but they've tried and they failed. Um, there are four states right now uh, that subject the products to sin taxes, um, and, and increasingly a couple of localities. We already talked about Chicago. Montgomery County, Montgomery County Maryland is another one. Um, and, and in D.C. last year, which began collecting and imposing excise taxes uh, on the products on October 1st, we've already had at least one, probably two, small local vape shops. These are, these are shops that employ two, three people max, closed down. Um, in Chicago, uh, the same exact thing is happening. There are multiple stores that are either moving across their state, their their uh, city border, uh, or outside of Cook and, Cook County in Chicago, or uh, just just closing down. So this, this these taxes and regulations have a real impact on small businesses who are trying to do one thing and one thing alone: help smokers quit and save their lives. And while states have long spent money on public service announcements telling people not to smoke, a lot of people believe that government has a role to get the message out there that smoking a cigarette is bad for you because it's a public health problem and it costs states a lot of money. But here you've got a product that research shows can actually help reduce lung cancer. So is it just that states are lazy and they don't understand the product? So they say, what do we have? We have tobacco regulations. It's already there. All we have to do is change a couple words in a law and it's simple and it's easy. Or is there something more sinister going on? Is there a real, is there a negative motivation behind this push to regulate something that is arguably good for you or not, not good for you, but better for you than the alternative? Sure. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's both, a, it's a combination of uh, misinformation that legislators themselves have. But I would attribute uh, more impure motives to states like California and cities uh, and mayors like Rahm Emanuel. I mean, when you look at the amount of money that uh, cities, states, and the federal government has extracted from tobacco consumers in the last 15, 20 years, I mean, it's $500 billion since 1998 that state governments have made off of smokers. And so when we talk about addiction, it's not consumers who are addicted to cigarettes. It is state and local government coffers. <laughs> um, and so when, when, when you really look to consider um, uh, you know, the efforts to subject these products to higher taxes, I would attribute it larger to their interest in protecting their monopoly on cigarette sales because every penny, every dollar that it is uh, that you increase the cost of an electronic cigarette, which in many cases can be less expensive uh, than a habit of, of pack-a-day or two-pack-a-day smoking, you provide a disincentive for someone to quit. Now, every person that quits in a state that has, for example, a dollar per pack uh, cigarette tax is a dollar per day lost for the rest of that person's life that the state or local government is no longer collecting. And so I would certainly attribute uh, the, the campaigns being waged in states like California, which is trying to impose a nearly 70% tax on the ballot this year, uh, funded uh, ironically by left-wing left environmentalist billionaire Tom Steyer, um, as, as trying to protect large sums of money um, that uh, states make off of traditional cigarette consumers. So if, if e-cigarettes are helping people quit and it's a public health benefit and that's somehow worthy of an attack by interest groups and state governments, why isn't there some big war against 
Nicorette and the, and the gum and the patch. Like, what if, if, if stopping people from smoking cigarettes is something that states don't want to do because they want to keep the money coming in from cigarette taxes, why aren't they going after Nicorette? And, and yeah, I mean, that's a very valid question. There are the organizations, the, the so called public health organizations, <laughs> who for years said that we had to raise taxes and impose these onerous regulations on the sale of, of cigarettes. Organizations like the American Heart Association, the American Lung Association, um, uh, th- these are groups who for years saw tobacco issues as black and white. You raise taxes on them, you disincentivize use. You impose regulations on them, you make it harder to access them. And now they've been confronted with a technology product that is achieving something they never could, which is getting people to quit smoking. Um, and uh, they, they simply have not included that as, as part of their lobbying push and arsenal uh, to recognizing the, the gray area, which is that the free market can achieve what they never could. And so um, th- these are, these are uh, organizations that have pushed for the subsidization of those products, which are far less effective than e-cigarettes, but it's mostly a black and white issue. And one of, the, one of the big issues in tech policy in general is innovation and protecting innovation and preventing regulations that will squash innovation and protect established incumbents. So here you have the established incumbents are tobacco companies and tobacco products, traditional cigarettes, which ever since the um, invention of the pack that closes itself or that, that closes, you know, that's the biggest innovation in cigarettes that we've seen in a while, they've pretty much stayed the same. But e-vapor is a bustling industry. There's a lot going on. But there's something called the predicate date, and that's a kind of a wonky term, but it's it's really key to this innovation problem. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how it impacts disruptive innovation? Sure. So the last time there was a big tobacco tax and regulatory fight at the federal level was in 2009, the first year the Democrats took over Congress. And um, the Tobacco Control Act of 2009 passed, establishing something called the predicate date. Um, for all existing tobacco products on the market. And it more or less was intended to uh, prevent new tobacco uh, products from from hitting the market. Um, And what it meant is that uh, anything that was on the market uh, before February 15th of 2007 was more or less grandfathered in. So it could continue to be sold by consumers. Anything that hit the market after that had to go through a very lengthy and very expensive um, pre-market review regulatory process through the Food and Drug Administration. Now, fast forward a year, two years later, um, electronic cigarettes hit the market. Never intended to be a part of this, but the argument has been that because nicotine is is generally a tobacco-derived product, they've attempted to throw them into the uh, Tobacco Control Act in 2009. Unfortunately, the rate at which innovation has occurred in this market has meant uh, that the products on the market today are in no way similar to the products that were on the market in 2007. And so unless Congress works to amend uh, the regulatory framework within the Tobacco Control Act of 2009, nearly all of the products, probably about 99% of them that are currently being sold to consumers, that are currently helping consumers quit smoking, will be taken off the shelves because it's just too expensive Uh, to go through that process. So the irony is that the older products that are potentially less innovative and less helpful, they're fine. They kind of get a pass from from regulators, but anything new that comes out is going to be under extra scrutiny. That's a bit backwards, isn't it? And absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and and the like I said, I mean the rate of innovation that has occurred, both in terms of these products' ability uh, to to provide incentives for someone to quit smoking. 
um, and, and be appealing for adult consumers of, of cigarette products to transition. It's just, it's, the products are so far di uh, different today than they were in either 2009 or 2007. Um, it's, it's certainly odd. And what, what are the big fights that are coming up? So I always like to end the show on what should listeners be looking out for? Are there going to, is there going to be a big watershed moment at the federal level sure. or is it at the state levels or what, what's com what's coming down the pike? Sure. So unless, uh, at the federal level, unless Congress acts to amend, uh, that date and, and, uh, either carves out a different definition for the products or, or simply, uh, moves up the predicate date for products sold to consumers. About 99% of these businesses, there are tens of thousands of people employed by, by these uh, small and medium-sized companies, like I said, 9 to 10 million consumers of these products, unless Congress acts by amending the predicate date, um, these, are, these are companies that are going to be put, put, out, um, put out of business. And when will that happen? So uh, the, the, there, was an, there was an effort in December of this past year during uh, the, the end of year uh, omnibus package. Um, there are a couple of additional potential vehicles uh, this year, the uh, spending appropriations bill or the FAA reauthorization bill. Um, the HR 2058 is a piece of legislation by Congressman Cole of Oklahoma that more or less amends the predicate date. Now that can be included as any as part of any number of vehicles, but it's certainly absolutely essential uh, that the predicate date is changed uh, but, uh, very, relatively quickly. Otherwise, any of the tax or regulatory issues that are being dealt with at the state level aren't going to matter because none of these small businesses are going to continue to be able to operate. And uh, is there a place that listeners can go to find out more about this issue that they might not have heard before or to see where their state stands and uh, where their representatives stand on the issue? Sure. So uh, there are a couple of organizations uh, that, that for either consumers or just interested listeners uh, could reach out to. Uh, or, or look for information on. Certainly number one is ATR, www.atr.org. Uh, there's also an association that represents a lot of these small and medium-sized businesses. It's the Smoke-Free Alternatives Trade Association, SAFADA. There's also a consumer group for consumers who are interested uh, in figuring out if there are tax or regulatory fights in their backyard, and that is CASA, so C-A-S-S-A, -S -S -A, and I believe their website's CASA.org. All right, well, that's it for today's show. My guest has been Paul Blair. He is the State Affairs Manager for Americans for Tax Reform. Paul, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Follow us on Twitter at TechFreedom or on Facebook.com slash TechFreedom. Find this podcast in the iTunes store or on your favorite podcast app. And if you do like what you hear, please leave us a review. It will really help us out. Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax-exempt think tank based in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work in tech policy and for more episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.